Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. How you guys doing? Uh, we're glad that you're here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, hey, we've baptized uh, 15 people so far. Praise God for that. That's awesome. So good. Yeah. And so God is just moving. We are so excited. Church is, church is good, you guys. Uh, January, um, we are doing well. I'm excited about what God is doing at ACF Church in our community. Um, I feel like we are at one of the healthiest places we've been as a church. Uh, we have life groups that are that are growing. Um, many of our groups just launched into the I Was Broke, Now I'm Not course. And so we've got people who are experiencing financial freedom. Uh, we're, we're starting a mission in Czech Republic. Um, we're excited about expanding our facility. Uh, we've got some great plans that are coming together for Easter this year. And so we'll be praying for that. Um, lots of great things that are coming through ACF Church. So I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful this year for where we're at. So thanks for being here, braving the weather. Uh, anybody driving to Anchorage yesterday through all of the traffic? It was insane, wasn't it? So we have Urban Mission. They go down and they feed uh, the homeless in Anchorage on Saturdays. And so they actually braved all of the traffic. And I think right behind the final Urban Mission vehicle, uh, it was just total pileup. And so just crazy season. But uh, thanks for getting out. I hope you make it home. The snow's still coming down, but uh, here we are. So let's enjoy being together. Uh, crazy week, too. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we got a new president. So how you doing? You all right? Uh, yeah, mixed. It's been mixed responses from every service. There's kind of like this yay uh, kind of thing that happens. Um, for us, I think I'm not going to get into it too much. Somebody's already a little nervous. Like, is he really going to talk about it? Um, we have to acknowledge that, uh, that we're in a new space as a country with a new president. Um, as a church, what continues is that we are a people of prayer and a people who continue on the mission that God has given us. And so in some ways, a lot of things have changed. And in uh, many ways, as the church, nothing has changed. So praise God for that. That's been uh, something we've talked about through the series, is that God gives us a new perspective and a new vision. And uh, we are all about this resurrection that is to come. We said this last week, that uh, the world will tell you just to get through life and that, you know, work sucks and then you die. But Jesus came to tell us that there is a life to come. And so we live for that life that is to come. And that shapes everything that we do. And that's what's so beautiful about the church. I mean, where else can you get people from such different backgrounds? Because I know people who are in this room who are from both political parties and everywhere in between, and yet we come together under one roof and we worship God. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I think only Jesus can do that. So I think we're grateful for that. I think we move on. We continue on the vision and the mission God has given us to continue to amplify the grace of Jesus to the church, to the unchurched, and the dechurched. And uh, we're moving. We're going places, church. So let's keep going and doing what we're doing and keep praying for uh, the country that we live in. But we are in a series called The Grind. And if you're brand new this week, you have jumped in uh, to the middle of this, this journey that we're going on. Uh, January is sort of a grind in Alaska. It's the time of year that people deal with a ton of depression. Uh, a lot of people right now are maybe feeling a little bit unsatisfied with what they do, uh, with their jobs, with how they spend most of their week. And uh, I don't know if you know this, you spend about 80,000 hours of your life at your job, which for some of you, that is good news. And for many people, that's bad news, right? 
um, the thought that you're spending that much of your life doing what you're doing, uh, for some of you, is really depressing, really scary. And, and so for us, what we decided to do is to set a, aside six weeks at the beginning of this year to talk about the grind of life. And, and just to ask God if maybe we could experience a little bit more joy and a little more fulfillment and a little more purpose in the grind of, of, our, of our daily jobs, our daily lives. And, and so this week, um, we are moving forward in that. If you have a Bible, you want to pull that out, go ahead and do that. You can also download the ACF Church app on your uh, iPhone or Android, and you can follow along with the notes and the scriptures there as well or on the screen behind me. Open up to Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 17. I'm just going to read this for us as we begin. It says this in verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So I'm calling the talk this morning, I'm better than this. And I don't know if you ever said this before, made that statement, I'm better than this. Or maybe you've said this, you've said, like, I'm above this, or I don't deserve this. And I've made these statements throughout my life. Um, most of us feel like we deserve something. And one thing that I know is throughout our careers and throughout life, um, we will do certain jobs early on in life or early in our career that we don't want anything to do with later on, right? So if you've been in the construction trade, which I did that for a little while, um, my goal was I wanted to run a big, heavy piece of yellow machinery, right? Because that's what every dude wants to do. Just put me behind, uh, you know, the, the, the controls of a bulldozer. That sounds like a ton of fun. And so, um, so I got into working with this guy, and he had a construction company. And, you know, first day on the job, I show up, and I'm like, all right, man, where are the keys? Let's do this thing, right? And he hands me a shovel, right? Because that's where you begin. That's your first piece of equipment. Um, if you are going to get into the construction trade, is you're going to run a shovel, and you're going to get really good at that, and you're going to get sick of that shovel, and it's going to be your best friend. But you do shovel work knowing that one day you're going to do other kinds of work, right? You believe, okay, so I'm going to do this for a season, but at one point I'm going to be able to run the equipment, do the job that I want to do. But what happens for us a lot of times is we are always looking for the future, always looking to that next thing, always wanting to be maybe more than where we are, to make more money, to get more respect, to have more authority. And so that leaves us in this position where oftentimes we're not very satisfied with what we're doing. And so what I want to talk through this morning is, is how can we look to the future? How can we have dreams and pursue those dreams, which is a really good thing, and yet find satisfaction in the grind of life? How do we do that? How do we enjoy this? One of the barriers, I think, is this mindset, I deserve this. I deserve better. I deserve this next thing. So my wife and I, we've been recently looking at some homes locally. Uh, we've, we get this bug once in a while to live in a different house or um, to have different things. I don't know if you guys get this. Normally after watching HGTV for a little bit, right? We're like, I need some different stuff. And so um, we decided to, to call a real estate agent, start looking at some homes. And, and for me, my, my thing is I want to shop, right, dudes? So like I, I want like a workspace. Some of you ladies work in shops too. So like I want a space in the winter. I can pull the cars in. I can work on stuff. And um, so we decided to look at this house. 
and it had a shop next to it, and, and my wife and I are walking through the home, and it's just like, it's too expensive, and it's not, not big enough, and there's just a few issues with us, and we go in the shop, and it's amazing, and I'm like, honey, we can live in the shop. We're just fine. Like, this will totally work, and she's like, not, not going to happen, and so we get in the car, and, you know, tell the real estate agent, you know, this isn't really what we're looking for, and, you know, I get in the car, and I'm like, I don't know, Amanda, maybe we shouldn't worry about this. Maybe, maybe we should just kind of stick with what we've got, and, you know, just be satisfied with what we have, and, and she, she said something to me. She said, honey, Honey, you deserve this. She goes, you deserve this. And, and as a wife, her heart was like, honey, I, I, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the way that you serve our family. I think you work hard. I think you do a lot. And so because of that, I think that you deserve this. And so from a wife's heart, she's just trying to encourage me and trying to thank me for all that I do. But I've just been thinking about that statement. And, and it, it's just, it, it doesn't, res- something in my heart doesn't really doesn't really like that. Like I, I, it was like a bad taste in my mouth after, after hearing that. Not because of my wife in any way, but because for me, I know my tendency to feel really entitled in life. I don't know if you struggle with this sense of entitlement, feeling like I deserve a lot in life, but I do. And it seems like every time I do something good or every time I accomplish something, it grows inside of me and I know it and I can feel it. And, and I can see it come out in my satisfaction with the little things that I do that I wish I didn't have to do anymore. Yeah, I see that coming out. And so I don't know if this is you for you today. Maybe you have this sense of, like, I'm entitled to more than I have. But I want you to just wrestle with this question today. What do you deserve? Like, what do you really deserve? I think this is what this passage is speaking to here. Jesus is um, he's speaking to these, uh, these religious people. These Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are, these are upstanding people, high-profile people, the people that dress really nice, uh, have a lot of respect, and want more respect, want more notoriety. And he's speaking to them. He tells them the story of this master and this servant. And essentially, the servant, he does his job, does his daily job, and he goes into the master, says, hey, my, my work's done. And he, and he asks him, he's like, what should the master do in that moment? Hey, man, come on in. Put your feet up on the table. Relax. I mean, you did your job. You're so amazing. Like, just, just relax the rest. Of, hey, I'll serve you. Let me take care of you. Is that what should happen? And he looks on. He's essentially saying, no, this isn't what's supposed to happen. And he tells them, he says, here's what you should say at the end of your day. At the end of everything you do, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We are unworthy servants. So this is where we begin, I think, as Christians, is with this baseline of of who are we and what do we deserve. Jesus is trying to talk to these people who feel like they deserve a lot because they've done a lot of good things for God. Like, like, I don't know if you're like me, but I go shovel the neighbor's walkway, and I, like, I think I'm a saint, right? I mean, look at me. I just shoveled somebody's driveway. I am God's special little man. I mean, look what I've done. Or from, like, I mean, honestly, I get done preaching on a Sunday morning. I've, I've preached, you know, there's a sense of, like, okay, God, I, you know, I feel like I've done something, like done God a favor or something. But what Jesus is trying to get at in this moment is that the reality is on your best day, you don't impress God. And that's a deep truth that we all need to receive today. Like on your best day, where you did the best thing and you accomplished the goal that God gave you, maybe you did something even good, like, like eternal, like you were part of making a huge difference in somebody's life. That's awesome. But God's not impressed by that. Like, do you know that, that God can accomplish everything and anything that you do on his own? He could do it all on his own. 
And yet he chooses to invite us into the journey and, and allow us to be blessed by being a servant of God and a servant of others. You see, when we have that perspective, we become a lot less entitled. So what is it that you deserve? Uh, there's this, this character piece in, in God, and it's the character of, ju- of, of justice. So God, one thing we know about God is he's fully just. He always does what is completely right. Always just. And, and because God is that way and we bear the image of God, we actually have that within us. We know that, there, that things should be just. That people shouldn't get more than what they deserve. They shouldn't get less than, than what they deserve. And there's, there's something that's described in the Bible called the, the law of recompense. And the, the word recompense means compensation or reward given for loss or harm suffered or an effort made. Essentially, it's like your paycheck for what you get, what you did. Like, this is what you did. This is what you get paid, good or bad. The law of recompense is basically this idea that people shouldn't get more or less than what they deserve. And we see this in the character of God. We see in Romans 2.6, God judges man based on what they do. Scary. Bad news, right? Good news for some of us, depending on how you feel about yourself. But also bad news. Like, we all know that we've, we've done the wrong things, and we don't want to be judged by those things. So just think about yourself. And how this comes out in your life. Like, how would you feel if somebody was being treated worse than, than what they deserved for what they did wrong? So let's just say, like, for you, for an instance, you leave church today, and uh, you go out into the parking lot, you pull out on the old Glen, and you've got a pickup truck, and it's, it's icy, and uh, so you, you smack the throttle and kind of fishtail it because you're having fun, and it's winter in Alaska, so you're going sideways down the old Glen, and boo, lights go off, sirens you know, okay, police officer caught you. You pull back into the church parking lot. We're all laughing at you and waving as we drive by, right? The police officer walks up, and he comes up to your window, and, and he always asks the first, first question, same question every time. Sir, do you know why I pulled you over, right? right? And so the answer is always, no. No, I have no idea. Right? You guys do that too. So I have no idea. I didn't do anything, I don't think, right? And you say, you know, I have no idea. And he says, well, I pulled you over because uh, you were driving recklessly, um, that was some kind of, I'm sure there's a law against that. Somebody who's in the police uh, force would be able to tell me. But anyway, uh, you know, you, you have, you've driven recklessly. So uh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a ticket. So you go, okay, well, that's my mistake. I, I deserve that. He says, and five years in prison. You're like, are you serious? You're looking for cameras. Like, am I on some kind of show? What's going on? He pulls you out of the car. He puts you in his police car and off you go. And you will spend the next five. You would be livid, right? I mean, you would, you'd get on Facebook and tell all your friends. I mean, you'd get protesters out front of the police department. You would, you would be upset because you would feel like the, the, the punishment didn't fit the crime, right? Like, this is unjust. This isn't right. So we all have this sense in us that, like, we should kind of get what we deserve. But it shouldn't be more, like, we shouldn't get more of a punishment than what we deserve. How about the other way around? What if you go out into the parking lot in a minute, and because you're already bored during my sermon, you decided to sneak out in the middle of it, and you started your car and left it running because you want a nice warm car. And uh, during church, during the worship, you go back out, and somebody has stolen your car, which is happening all over Anchorage, by the way. People, stop stealing cars. Leave them alone. Isn't it like a rule in Alaska? You see a running car, leave it alone. Go steal something else. Don't steal their... Anyway, um, that's bad advice. So... Some moms like children don't listen to the pastor. Don't steal. Um, anyway, so somebody steals your car. They run off with it. 
And, uh, and, and so then the police call you later that day. They say, we found your vehicle. We've got the guy. Okay, so you show up, and there's your car, and there's the guy, and your car is demolished, right? The paint job is destroyed. He's been, like, hitting shopping carts in the Walmart parking lot. The windshield's cracked. The motor's blown up. I mean, it's just destroyed. And you're looking at your beautiful car, and the police officer brings the guy over to you, and you look him in the eye, and the policeman looks at the, the man, and he says, you know what? You need to apologize for that. You'd be like, are you, are you kidding me? He's like, you need to, the guy says, sorry. And the policeman says, you're good to go, right? You'd be livid. Again, you'd be frustrated. No, there should be something more than that. The man deserves more than that. We all have like our own little sense of justice, don't we? Like of what we believe is right, it comes out like when we're watching Liam Neeson movies, right? And so, like, he, he's chasing down the guys that kidnapped his daughter and slitting their throats, and we're all like, yeah, kill them all, right? You know, Christianity goes out the window with Liam Neeson. <laughs> kill them all. They all deserve it, right? It's just we all have this sense of what's just and what isn't just, and it comes out however we decide for it to come out, but clearly it's broken, right? Clearly, like, we should not be the ones to determine what is just, Clearly, that's twisted and broken by our own experiences. So what about what we do right? What about your paycheck? Some of you are dealing with the grind of life, and you're struggling with your job because you just ain't getting paid enough, right? You're like, I deserve more than this. I mean, maybe you've got the boss that doesn't do a good job of thanking you for your job. And so you're like, ah, if he would just say thank you once in a while, if he would just show gratitude, I could enjoy myself. So then we come back to this passage, and it, it almost sounds like Jesus is condoning, like, uh, you know, a, an abusive boss, like a boss that doesn't thank his employee. But I think what Jesus is really getting at is sort of this heart condition that causes us to think that, like, all of us deserve participation trophies, right? And we all deserve something for what we do. Like, even if we don't do enough, like, we deserve something. So that's why he says, to them in verse 10, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Once again, Jesus is getting at this reality. On your best day, God's not impressed. On your best day, on your own, apart from the grace of God, the best of what you do, the Bible calls them filthy rags. The best of what you did is absolutely worthless. But there's good news. There's more to come. Let's keep going with what Jesus says there in verse 11. It says this, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, so just pause. Lepers were these people that were, leprosy was this terrible disease. So these people were outcast. They were the kind of people that you just didn't get anywhere near, and they're, they're calling out to Jesus as he walks by. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. He heals them. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. 
your faith has made you well. So great passage, just talking about these people who were, who were sick, and they lived outside of the city. So it'd kind of be like, you know, um, we, li- we live in Eagle River here, or we're in Eagle River. This would be kind of the city, and the lepers would live like out in Chugiak, which is where I live, actually. So I can say that. The lepers like live out in Chugiak. We don't let them live in the city. And so Jesus is walking by these people, and they cry out from a distance, would you heal us, Master? We've heard of all the good things you're doing. This man is obviously some kind of good teacher, And we're hoping that maybe he can heal us. He's been doing some amazing things. They cry out to him. What does he do? He heals them. It's this amazing miracle. And and then what happens? This interesting thing. The story says nine of them take off, like really excited, like anybody would be. If you spent your entire life being identified by your sickness, being identified by something that was wrong with you, and then it was taken away from you, you'd be pretty excited too. And so the nine take off, but there's one that stays. And he comes back to Jesus, and he gets on his face before Jesus, and he's just he's thankful, and he's praising God. And I can just see this man weeping at the excitement that he's been healed from this ailment that has shaped his entire existence. It's interesting, the scripture, it identifies the people. It, it tells us some things. First, it tells us that this one was a Samaritan which means that he was different from everybody else by race, by religion. He was just different, which means that the other nine, because they weren't identified, they were probably Jewish. They probably had some kind of religious background. And again, this book, the book of Luke, is a biography of Jesus written to Gentiles, written to the unchurched, the people who are outside of the circle of those who were chosen by God, trying to tell them some things. So here you got in this situation, the nine somewhat religious people and the one non-religious person. When Jesus heals them all, who's the one that comes back and thanks him? The Samaritan, the foreigner, the outcast. I think he's making a really important point here in the story. He is sharing a really important point, and it's deeper than what you might think. Like when I, read, when I first read this, I was like, oh, this is a great sermon on gratitude. Like, like Jesus should have said, you nine, come back here and thank me, right? Like I do with my kids. I tell them, I make sure you thank them for the piece of candy, right? Like, thank them. Is that what Jesus is trying to get at here? Is just, hey, be more thankful. Say thank you more often. You know, maybe give God some props for all the good things that you have in your life. See, I don't think this is actually so much about gratitude or thankfulness. I think this passage is actually about unworthiness. It's about unworthiness. So once again, understand these people. Ten people who were shaped by all of this, this sickness on their body, who were outcast from society, who were probably identifying with this sickness, and who knows what else was going on in their life. But there was one of them who was just a little bit more of an outcast than the rest. There was one of them who probably got a little, even, even less respect than the less. One of them who maybe even understood a little bit less of who this man was. And yet that's the one that came to Jesus' feet. See, I don't think this is so much about just saying thank you more often. I think what Jesus is getting at is a realization in our hearts of how unworthy we are of healing. And this man, this one Samaritan, I think he understood his unworthiness to the point that it actually resulted in his salvation. Here's what I want you to know. You can be healed by God and also be far from him in your heart. Do you know this? 
Do you know you can actually experience the grace of God in your life, in your family, in your finances, in everything that you do, and you can be far from God in your spirit. So don't look at your life and be like, hey, we must be doing pretty good, right? We paid the bills this week. Kids are healthy. God is blessing us. Clearly, clearly I'm his special little person, right? He loves us. Like, like clearly that. Well, he does love you, but you know, clearly we're special and we're in a good relationship with God because things are going really well. These nine, we don't know anything about them, but what I think happened is they got healed physically, but not spiritually. But this one, this one understood how unworthy he was to a point that he was able to go to the feet of Jesus in worship. And I didn't begin this series thinking that we were going to come back to this over and over again. But as I've been studying and praying for you guys and praying about these scriptures, I feel like there's a theme in this this series of The Grind. And it's this whole idea of being able to go to your knees being able to accept this posture. And I know it's weird. The first week we did it, I invited all of you to get on your knees. And, and, and most of you did. You just got on your knees. And, and, and it's a posture of humility before God. And so we did that together. And I feel like it just keeps coming up that like if you want to find joy and peace and fulfillment in the grind of life, you need to get on your knees. Like this, the minute you get on your knees, the minute you, you accept a posture both in your, in your body and in your heart, that, that I don't deserve anything. That's what being on your knees is. It's, it's a posture of submission and humility. Like once you get that and you receive the grace of God, it's going to help you to experience joy in the little things, even the things that you don't want to do, even the stuff that you're like, I'm above this. I should be doing something else now. I should be making more money. I should get more respect. Well, maybe you should, and maybe you should pursue those things. But what do you do right now? How you live, I think, is determined by the way that you see yourself. And this man knew he was unworthy. Sometimes going back to the basics is, is where we find the most truth. Romans 6, 23, you might know this verse. You might see it on a football helmet once in a while. Uh, it's maybe the second most well-known verse to John three sixteen. It says this, for the wages of sin is what? Death. That seems pretty harsh, right? I don't know. I mean, are we that bad? The wages of sin is death. How much, right? That's the next question. How much sin? Like, is it a lot of sin? Like a little bit of sin? Like, I know I said that thing to my mom that one day, or was mean to my wife the other, like, I'm pretty pretty decent. It's interesting that it doesn't say like the wages of lots of sin is death. The wages of certain kinds of sin is death. Well, there's things that I haven't done, Brian. I have drawn a line somewhere, Brian. You know, maybe it's too far, but I did draw a line. I did, and I crossed it, and I drew another one. But, you know, I I draw lines, so I, I draw boundaries. The wages of sin is death. Here's the hard truth. The hard truth is that we're sinners. And um, this isn't a popular truth. And it may be one of the most basic things that we talk about in the church. Oh, yeah, I get it, Brian. We're sinners. Do you? Do we get this? Like at a, at a core root level that, that, that you lie not because you lied but because you're a liar. That we do evil things not because we just had a lapse of judgment but because we have evil in our hearts. This is how the Bible talks about it, and and I get it. This is a hard truth, but the Bible's clear, and Jesus is clear. Like, the wages of sin is death. 
And so the death that we experience in our relationships a lot of times comes back to our sin, doesn't it? I mean, that broken relationship you have with somebody who's different than you politically right now, and, uh, and it's been a total train wreck, and you know, maybe you don't talk anymore. That's the wages of sin. I mean, that's not how it was supposed to be, but it is because we don't know how to disagree with each other and love each other at the same time. The wages of sin is death. It wasn't just a lapse of judgment. We didn't just cheat. We're cheaters. I cheated. I've cheated on tests before, you know. I've done things before that I'm like, man, that's cheating. Maybe you cheat on your taxes. And you're like, okay, but that's not that bad. The wages of sin is death. I think this is where we begin. We start off humbly on our knees. And I think when we think about this, we think of how unworthy we are to be before a holy God. It's a great posture for being able to stand up and find our joy. I love that Romans 6.23 doesn't end there, right? Good news, verse isn't over. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. That's good news. That's good news. It doesn't end with the wages of sin is death. Have a good day. Um, there is good news. Eternal life, a free gift. I think it's clear. It's important that he put that in here. It's important that for this this man who had leprosy, like he could not heal himself. He couldn't do enough good things to heal himself. He couldn't make himself well. It was only by a free gift that Jesus could heal him. And it's interesting that Jesus extended that grace to 10 people and one of them got it. One of them understood how unworthy they were, yet how blessed they were going to be through this man. One of them understood that this wasn't just a good teacher, that this was God himself in the flesh, and he went to his knees before him. One of them had their hearts transformed. The others simply had their bodies transformed. I want for us as a church today, I want us to have both. I want us to experience the healing that God will bring in our relationships, in our our hearts, in our lives, as well as in 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 our spirits as we receive his grace in fullness. You see, the others, they understood maybe some, some religion. They understood uh, some of the law. They understood some of the holiness of God. And they understood some of that, maybe on a, on, a, on a mental level, but they didn't get it necessarily into their hearts to the point that it sent them to the feet of Jesus. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Our, persistence, our persistent gratitude is a symptom of true salvation. Here's what I'm not telling you today. Hey, just go be more thankful. I mean, you, you can do that, and that's good, and that'll work for a few days. Some of you made New Year's resolutions to be more thankful 2017. Yay! Right? But saying it isn't feeling it, is it? Again, it comes, I just learned so much from my kids, right? Tell them thank you, thank you, thank you, right? I mean, if they, if they don't feel it, it, you don't really change their hearts by getting them to say it. So what we don't want is a church of people who, like, say thank you. We sing worship songs every week that are like, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and we go and live lives of ungratitude. I mean, we got to get at the root of this. we got to get at the heart of this, and the heart of this is true salvation received by people who know unwor- how unworthy they are of the grace that Jesus is offering them. How do you know you're saved? How do you know Jesus has come into your life? Gratitude swells up from your heart. It comes up from within. Now, I know we have to work at it, and that's okay. 
but it comes from a place deep within you that knows that I don't deserve anything. And yet Jesus reached down to me and he healed me. And I'm still a work in progress and I'm still a wreck and yet he loves me. And I still mess it up and I will. And I know I'm, you know, tomorrow going to mess this up or the next day going to screw that up, but he's going to love me. And I'm telling you, like, that's when you can look him in the eyes and experience gratitude. That's when you really can do that. When you've gone to your knees, like when you truly know, I believe this, when you truly know where you stand before God apart from Jesus, it is almost impossible to stand before God. It will send you to your knees. And some of you have had moments like that, either in public or in private, maybe in your bedroom where you're just on your knees going, God, I'm so unworthy. Listen, feel those feelings. Receive that sometimes. I mean, you are infinitely valuable to God. But because of our sin and God's justice, we are separated from him. It would not be just for us to be sinners and to be in the presence of a holy God and to expect to live with him. I mean, that that just would not be just. And so the only just thing would be for that sin to go somewhere. And here's the thing. You think about Jesus. So what we say is Jesus, he took his sin upon himself. That's important to know. That God didn't just pour his sin on his son who wasn't willing to receive it. The Bible says that Jesus actually reached out to receive our sin. It, It was only by his choice. He willingly took our sins. Otherwise, it would be unjust, right? But in God's justice, he allowed Jesus to receive the wrath of God and then to give us his righteousness. Psalm 103, verse 10, I love this passage. It says this, he does not deal with us according to our sins. That's a praise God. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you who know Jesus. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You guys, this is the beginning of how we live this life together. And we know that God has given us so much. I mean, it'll change your friendships. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way that you look at other people who are messed up. I mean, you'll be less judgmental. You will be able to, as the church, we as individuals and as a church, stand up for moments where things are being unjustly done which we should. God has given us a a call to do that, to stand up for those who are weak. But we will only be able to do that well and in righteousness if we know how broken and undeserving we are personally. Like self-righteous people do a bad job of enacting judgment, right? When we're self-righteous, boy, that's, that's how you know the difference as a parent between disciplining your kid and really being way too hard on them. Oftentimes, just starting off with, okay, who am I? I'm broken, I'm, I'm messed up, I'm a sinner, is a great place to then go to your child and be able to discipline them well. It's what, it's what holds us back and reigns back just our wrath on people, is knowing that God has poured the wrath that was intended on us out on Jesus. This uh, Christmas Eve is crazy around here. We had a bunch of services, a bunch of people. We were trying to set things up out front. And so we rented a bunch of these light trailers. Did you guys see those? There were these like big towers outside with the lights on them, the diesel generators underneath them and really cool things. And, and so uh, anyway, they were, they were out there running and, and uh, services got over and, um, and we all went home. And a couple days later, I get this text from Danny, who's our uh, director of operation. And I pull up my phone. It says, uh, hey, Brian, 
do you know where the light trailer is? And I was like, oh, what, what happened? So I text him back. I'm like, no, I have no idea. Well, clearly somebody thought they needed the light trailer more than we did because they came and stole it. So somebody pulled up and they latched onto it and they drove off with the light trailer. So I'm, it's like, you know, in the morning I'm getting this text and this is setting the tone for my whole day. I am angry. Like I am ticked off. And I, I don't like fly off the handle or deal with a ton of deep anger. But um, it's funny. Weird things will set me off. Weird things set you off. Sometimes you're like going, I'm happy. And then something happens and you're just mad. And I just, I was like Brian the bounty hunter. I'm like, I'm going to get a lynch mob and we're going to find them. And we're going to set up cameras. And I'm like out in the parking lot with a measuring tape. And I kid you not, my camera. And I'm taking pictures of the tire tracks. But I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I go to Fred Meyer and like start measuring people's tires or something. Come out, Pastor Brian, what are you doing? I don't know what I was going to do, but I, I was going to like, I was going to enact justice, you know, but mostly my wrath on whoever this was that had stolen this trailer. Because I'm like, how are we going to afford this? And it's lots of money and, ah, oh, it's terrible. And, and so then later on that morning, we get a call and we find out that apparently most modern rental equipment has like GPS trackers in them, which is cool. I'm like, we are living in the future, guys. This is awesome. So they're like, we know where it is. It's just up the street. They stashed it in the woods. And so now I'm even more fired up. I'm like, okay, let's get everybody together. We're going to get on Facebook. We're going to get like a thousand people out there. We're going to hide in the woods. When they come to get the trailer, we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm making this plan. And, and then Danny said something like, maybe we should just like leave it with like a little sign that says, um, we know who you are, come to church. Or we know who you are. Um, I don't know, like we, we should, maybe we should pour out a little grace on them or something like that. You know, maybe we should do that. And here's the thing I really wrestle with is, Justice is okay. And catching people for things that they do that are wrong is okay. And for us as people, standing up for what is right is absolutely okay. And maybe you should make more money. And maybe you do deserve more respect for what you do. And maybe you are in a bad situation. But once again, we cannot do that well without first stopping and assessing who we are apart from Jesus. This is what the Samaritan was able to do. He was able in a deeper sense to know how broken he was, how undeserving he was of grace, and it drove him straight to his knees. And this is the kind of church we want to be. And so if you want to know what you deserve today, I want you to write these things down. I'm going to walk through these very quickly. And uh, there'll be some scripture references. I'm just going to let the Word of God preach to this itself. Um, It does a better job than I do. And so if you want to write these references down, maybe you could, these are five things, maybe you could read one every day. Uh, every morning, just wake up and read these passages and, and just to kind of set yourself up for the day. The first thing is this, we deserve shame, but we're given joy. That's good news. We deserve shame, but we're given joy. Psalm 34, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. I love that statement. Those who look to him are radiant. Why are they radiant? Not because you're awesome, but because you're reflecting the glory of God that's been poured out on you. That's why you're radiant. You shall never be ashamed. If you're ashamed today and you're in Christ, there is no space for shame in the life of a believer. I want you to know that. Don't be ashamed. Jesus has paid for your sins. Number two, we deserve punishment but we're given mercy. That's good news. 
That's good news on a cold winter day. Luke 6, 35 says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. We deserve punishment. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we resisted him, when we knew nothing about him, he reached out to us. We deserve punishment, but we're given mercy. Number three, we deserve isolation, but we're given community. Hey, I'm thankful for the church. You guys glad to be here? Yeah, six of you. Sweet. Okay. You're glad for the church. That's cool. Last week you did better after the Yes Man clip. You did a better job of that. So we deserve isolation. Do you ever think about that? Solitary confinement. That's what we deserve. To be isolated from people, apart from the people that we live life with, apart from our families. That's what we deserve. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow, that's cool. That's, that's pretty awesome. We deserve isolation, yet we have this community. We're no longer the, the, the outsider. We're no longer the Samaritan. We are part of the family of God, chosen to be one of his people. Number four, we deserve a grudge, but we're given grace. Anybody holding a grudge today? Got some stuff that you need to deal with, some things you need to let go? You can't do it until you receive grace from Jesus. You can't give the grace that you don't know. You can't give the grace that you haven't received, and, and you won't receive it until you know how unworthy you are to even receive it in any, in any way. So by understanding your unworthiness, you're going to understand how to receive grace and be able to give it to others. Isaiah 38, verse 17, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness or sadness about my sin. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins, this is cool, behind, my, behind your back. It says, God has cast all his sins behind his, behind his back. Like, does God forget your sins? No, he doesn't. He's God. Kind of knows everything. But what he can do is cast your sins behind his back, which is just a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. Number, number five, last one. We deserve death, but we're given life. Romans 1.32 is a picture of how we live. It says, though they know God's righteous decree... We know what God expects of us. That those who practice such things deserve to die. They do not, or they, do, they, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So we know that we deserve death for our sins. Romans 6, 23 again. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. It's only good news for those who know how unworthy they are to receive it. So today is a, it's an awesome day. We're celebrating baptisms, and uh, we are offering opportunity for people. If you've signed up to be baptized, I want to encourage you when the worship begins to go out into the lobby and check in. Also, if you're here today and God's been speaking to you for a few weeks, and you've never gone public with your faith, maybe you've been nervous, um, maybe you haven't really known what to do next, and you've given your life to Christ recently, now, as we read scripture, the first act of obedience to those who believe in Jesus is to get baptized. It's to say, I'm not ashamed of the God who saves me. I'm going to go public with my faith. Here's the thing. We won't make you say anything special unless you want to. 
Um, but we want you to have an opportunity. And as we said last week, you are not guaranteed another day. We are living for the resurrection that is to come. And so we live every moment like it's our last. And what you need to know is you, don't, you, you aren't guaranteed another moment. And so I want to encourage you uh, to, to take this opportunity to be baptized. If you were baptized as an infant and you didn't make that decision and you didn't know anything about it, and, and, and since then, maybe you haven't been in the church for a while and you're coming back to church and God has changed your heart and you want to make for yourself your own public profession that Jesus is your Lord, I encourage you to do that. We'd love to baptize you. One thing you need to know is baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't heal you. It's only a symbol of what Christ has already done for you. And it's the first thing we do in trust that Jesus has changed our hearts. So here's my encouragement to you. Uh, if today is your day, if God's been speaking to you, don't wait. Don't put it off. Be courageous and step forward. And here's the thing, too. If you were not planning on getting baptized today, uh, we have taken away all the excuses. Out in the lobby, we have shirts. We have shorts. We have hair dryers in the bathroom so you ladies don't have to go home with frozen hair. We got everything. I mean, you name it, they've got it covered. And so zero excuses. If God is working in your heart and, and you know, you know today is the day that, that you say, God, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm done being on the fence. Today is the day that I ask for your grace. Then I would, I would encourage you to, to take that next step and make that move and to go public with your faith. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your church. Thank you, God, for the story of the Samaritan who gets transformed on the inside. God, the last thing we want is to be a ch church of people who are experiencing your external blessings, but not transformed internally. So God, I pray for all of us today that we would know in a, in a deeper way how unworthy we are apart from Jesus to have any good thing in this life. And yet, God, you pour out so much grace on us. We receive that today. God, I want to pray for the person here today who is just scared of what's next. Maybe doesn't know how to move forward, God, that you would help them to trust and to believe, God, that you will guide them in every step of the way. I want to pray for the person who just needs the strength in their knees to stand up and to, to get baptized. God, that you would give them the courage that they need. God, we pray for those who have already been baptized today and Wednesday. And God, who, whose lives are being transformed by the grace of Jesus. God, we ask for more of that. And God, we ask that you would continue to give your grace to us in such a way that we could give it to others. God, instead of treating the symptoms, God, we would go back to our hearts and we would receive your grace anew today. As we worship, God, I pray we'd worship from that location. We're so unworthy of all the good things you give us. But God, you are so good and you, because of Christ Jesus, have said that we are worthy to stand before you and to give you praise. Thank you, God, for that free gift. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.